Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. Hello, everybody. I'm Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver Hermie Saddle, and I'm turning left in Senator Episode 4, and they keep getting better and better. Not only that, they haven't fired us yet. I'm no. always expecting the pink slip from Double J. Maybe I a broken to, guitar. I hate to break this to you right off the bat, but we're, we're kind of paying them to be a partner of ours. Really? So if we got fired from that relationship, that would be as bad as bad as it could get. <laughs> so you're saying you can't be fired if you pay for what you do? Oh, sure you can. They can disengage, but I think they like us. But I thought we were getting paid. Maybe you are. <laughs> I don't. I, okay. Politician slash attorney. Char- I put you in charge of all of this. You did all the contracts, all the paperwork. You know, we started we started this podcast because um, we entertained each other so much on the phone every night when we talked for a good hour, hour and a half. Yep. The only people that were not entertained were our wives who heard at least half the conversations. Yeah. And I think it's translated pretty well so far. It's been great. Yeah. And what what great guests we've had so far and what great guests we're, we're going to have today and then coming up in future podcasts. Uh, another good one. We had, uh, so far, we've had uh, WWE Hall of Famer Jeff Jarrett on the program. We've had college football Hall of Famer LeVar Arrington. Redskin great. Redskin great. We've had uh, my younger more successful, richer, and better-looking brother, Elliot Sadler, on definitely, the show. Definitely taller. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, coming up in future, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll have uh, one of my all-time favorite people, former Virginia governor, George Allen. Man. But let's talk about this? today. How do we top that? You know how we do it? We do it today, right here. We do here. it today. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very, very special guest, somebody who's near and dear to all of our hearts, and especially if you follow Virginia politics, uh, you know the name Kirk Cox. A legislator, a longtime legislator in the House of Delegates, a guy that made the difference, a, a man that stood on principle and never wavered and became our, what was that? What number uh, Speaker of the House? 55th. 55th Speaker of the House of Delegates. Uh, for two years, it was between 2018-2020 until, unfortunately, we lost the majority, but he was the majority leader for so many years, too. How many years? When did you start in the General Assembly? Well, first of all, it's great to be with y'all. Yes, uh, I have to say, uh, I did listen to a few podcasts mm-hmm. because I was nervous. I mean, being on with two stars like you, and so you kept bragging about this skyscraper that you were in, and so I drove past this place like ten times. And, you want to uh, give him the full description? This is a this is not a skyscraper, guys. It it's is a, a skyscraper. Okay, you're you're am here. I, am the, I killing the myth? No, there's no myth. It's just like saying wrestling is fake. This is the beautiful Stanley Law Group Studios, yeah. high atop. The skyscraper of the Stanley Law Group law firm in beautiful downtown Richmond, the capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And within earshot of the capital. Exactly right. It's a stone's throw this one is block away. Prime real estate, Mr. Cobb. It is prime. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, Let me apologize. I just And stopped. look at the view. It's gorgeous. That, that's where you um, used to park. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that parking garage right there. Where they gave me free parking. That's right. Yeah. That's so, right. And I actually started in nineteen eighty nine. I was thirty one years old. Uh, and Got to do it for 32 years, so quite an honor. Uh, taught for 30 years, U.S. and Virginia government. So it's always interesting how you get started. Um, I was never going to do this. 
I was going to be a famous high school basketball and baseball coach and teacher. And uh, we have this in common, I think. So in 84, Ronald Reagan runs for re-election, who I loved, and was the volunteer of the year in Colonial Heights hmm. and decided, you know, after uh, teaching for four years, I had no practical experience whatsoever and actually teaching government. So I wanted to work a campaign. So I worked Wyatt Durrett's campaign for governor. That's a throwback. Uh, he ran against Jerry Bilal's. He got, unfortunately, beat pretty badly. We lost all four coin flips for the uh, debates. Mm -hmm. But here's what was cool. Ronald Reagan did a fundraiser, fundraiser for us. Fantastic. Uh, and so I'm some young school teacher, and uh, it was $1,000 for the lunch and $10,000 for a table. And I think I was making $9,000 a year. <laughs> so, uh, But he was, he was absolutely my icon, and uh, we got wiped out. But here's what was I thought really cool. On that losing campaign, and the cool thing about politics is you can be 22, 23, 24. You know this, Bill. You can you can make a mark you can't make in any other area. You really People let you do stuff you could never do in any other profession. But Don Lemons was uh, an education advisor, becomes chief justice of the Supreme Court, and swears me in a speaker 35 years later. Wow. Frank Atkinson becomes chief counselor to Governor George Allen. He right. was on that. Team. Todd Stottermeyer becomes rector of UVA, and Judy Watson becomes head of the Watson Center at ODU, and that was a losing campaign. Wow! And and if you know those names in politics in the Commonwealth of Virginia, I mean that's like Richard Petty, yeah. the yeah. Pearsons, yeah. that's the Wood Brothers. That that's the top tier in terms of modern politics in Virginia. So, what a way to start, and and to start in that in that way. Sometimes in politics. Just like in life, you 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 learn more from losing than you, you ever do from winning, and so and and as I've said before, uh, when I've found in some of my legislation where it takes years for people to get on board with it, uh, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. But for you, did that give you the bite right then? I mean, once you went through even that campaign, you learned a lot. Did you say at that point, I want to be a member of the House of Delegates? I got the bug. But what was interesting was losing is devastating. I mean, losing a political campaign, I was the driver. Uh, the cool thing about the driver is you go everywhere with the candidate. When we lost, it's November. I'm a school teacher. There are no jobs in November. And uh, in those days, they called it ED, the emotionally disturbed. But the only job I could get was teaching the emotionally disturbed, which was great for me as a classroom teacher. But it was hard. I wasn't trained in that. And so uh, one of my friends actually on that campaign, Mark Haygood. I don't know if you ever knew Mark. I did not. Uh, so Mark was from South Boston. He's a young kid like me. He goes back, wins a seat in the House of Delegates, most improbable thing in the world. So I'm taking my class to the House of Delegates uh, the next year when I get a government job. And there is Mark Haygood on the floor of the House of Delegates. And that's a sacred place for me. I mean, I just that's where democracy mm -hmm. started, as you know, oldest legislative body in the new world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I'm, I'm looking him down there and going, I give anything to be able to do that. That would be the ultimate public service. And so I ended up running uh, in 1989, about three years later, that got me the bug. Had no idea what I was doing. Uh, totally inept. Ended up upsetting Chip Dix. Yeah. Uh, and I love Chip. Chip and I have become good friends. Now remember, there was a, uh, a famous yeah, phrase. This is, uh, yeah. A famous phrase about that race. Yeah, uh, was. Speaker, would, would you like to say it? Because well, it's a family uh, show. I can't do that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a not sitting sure I can, current politician. I, I can, I can so so I, he's he's disposable now? No, 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 no. Not disposable. But, well, but he's I, I, not coming up for re-election like I, I, I have will, I will say, here's what happened was there was a big intersection in Chesterfield, and it had Cox, big sign on one end, and Dick's big sign on the other. 
And I never made Playboy and Esquire magazine, but that billboard made both. And yeah. I, All right. I became quite famous. But uh, I got won. you some nationwide attention. I, I did. I did. Uh, but I ended up winning. It was funny. I knocked on every door. I won in a big upset. And in those days. Say that again. You knocked on every door. And I mean right. it. I, I yeah. literally knocked from April to November. I didn't miss a day. And I only say that because, and I'm trying to interject, because y'all are talking about stuff that's more in y'all's wheelhouse than mine. But in my limited dealings with politicians, more so in the last four or five years, it's kind of like the tables have turned. Everybody has to, is supposed to go to them yes. instead of them coming to the people. So I just thought that was an interesting mm -hmm. comment that he made. He knocked on every door because now I knocked on every door in the Pocahontas building for the last five years, and it's hard to get anybody to talk. Well, and, and that was one of your signature moves. Every election, he knocked on those doors. He never took mm -hmm. it for granted ever, ever. And, he, and in representing uh, his district, which was the 66th district, um, so very attentive to the very constituents, so very attentive to the needs of not just all Virginians, but especially in that district. And I think that that, that really says something. That's a benchmark way high up that I think every politician should aspire to, to be and to do is what Kirk Cox did in his career. No well, one sits well, there and, and, and gives you that kind of You're very nice, Phil. I appreciate that. But I wasn't that smart, candidly, because uh, just to be funny on the show. So I'm knocking on this door in the worst neighborhood in my district. And... Uh, so I knock on this guy's door. He weighs about 300 pounds. He's got a Budweiser in his hand. He's got bib overalls on. I'm, I'm really pumped. I mean, I, I'm getting every vote. So I start talking about education and my passion. He's looking at me like, would you just go away? Yeah. And he's got a dog behind me. And I, after about a minute, figure out that if he moves his legs, that dog's biting me. I better wrap this up. And uh, I wasn't quick enough. It's different in 1989. So he opens his legs up. The dog bites me. Not terribly, but chunks me pretty good and he looks at me and I look at him he closed the door and I went on the next door it was different back then he, uh, so uh, did he, did he, I got about two dogs vote for you or not? Nah, I don't think he was registered in those days you just sort of knocked on everyone's door so right. it wasn't as sophisticated but uh, yeah. you didn't know who was a Republican or a Democrat you did really didn't it was uh, or even registered behind each door so your, it, fir your first, first people were great they, they couldn't be better to you your first couple of years in office, what surprised you the most? It was tough. I'll, I'll be candid with you. Having beat Chip, and Chip was going to run for attorney general, and A.L. Philpott was the speaker. And Speaker Philpott was a brilliant guy, but he didn't like me because I'd beaten sort of the rising Democratic star. So it gave me, ironically, the worst seat in the House. It's way down the well. And uh, it's actually the seat that is unoccupied if the Republicans have a speaker. So what's so ironic is I'm in that seat my first year, and then when we become, become speaker, I'm back in that seat, even though you never sit in it. Mm -hmm, right. But he put me in the, on the old Chesapeake Committee and the Conservation Committee. Uh, I wrote him this impassioned letter that I wanted to be on the Education Committee. I'm a young teacher. I love it. I found out two things. He didn't like Kirk Cox, and he didn't like teachers, so I never got on the Education <laughs> Committee. I, you know, But uh, it was funny. We were, there were only 41 Republicans. The Republicans had never been in the majority in the history of Virginia. I mean... And so it was tough. I mean, even in those days, we um, there was no proportional representation. We Republicans were sat on either end of the rostrum. If you're on a committee, you couldn't even sit together. I mean, the uh, it was pretty tough time trying to to climb in those days. I, I will say this though: that maybe the difference was people really cared. It was it was state issues. People really cared about the state, and there was n not a lot of national 
politics involved. So it wasn't the polarization that we see today, to your point. In 1989, set the table for you, Hermie. Uh, right now, uh, Northern Virginia is small. I mean, it's starting to grow. I was growing up there, of course, by compulsion. My dad was in the Navy, so it wasn't my choice. But my family was down on the south side. A.L. Philpot was from Martinsville, Henry County area. Mm-hmm. So all the power was still in the southern part of the state, which is now totally flipped, where all the power now is in the northern part of the state. And the southern part of the state, which used to rule Virginia, and why they did is because they were in the industrial leader of Virginia for so long, they built Virginia's economy. Uh, that gave them political power. But they were all Democrats at the time, and, and Southern Democrats at that. But they were ruthless. They were cutthroat. And they held on to power for a long, long time because they, they employed those type of tactics. And so you came in probably at the peak or when it's just starting to recede, that kind of power differential between the South and the North in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Isn't that true? No question. And when I came in, you're exactly right. Uh, you really did sort of see the peak of the rural areas. And uh, and I think that's a shame. I mean, you've done such great work, fast forwarding a little bit with school construction, so many of those key issues, Thank you. Uh, which I so much are economic development, et cetera. But yeah, it was a totally different ball game, you know, back then. And so, but eventually we got the majority. It took us about 10 years. We mm-hmm. worked very hard for that. And I think we, we governed very well when we held the majority for, you know, almost in the House, almost 20 years. And the Democrats had both the House and the Senate. They had everything. They had everything. So yeah, in the old you days, you know, on the Appropriations Committee, which is your money committee. Mm-hmm. And there's some great things about 30 years ago. And there's some things that weren't so great. So, you know, in those days, slightly before I got there, there used to be two Capitol Police officers in front of the Appropriations Committee. They wouldn't let Republicans in, much less... Uh, in the old days, I mean, it was a closed system. There's no question about it. Uh, and so things changed dramatically. I know when we took over, one of the things we did was proportional representation on committees. There were only, when Republicans got up to almost 45 members, there were only four members on appropriations. We got a 22-member committee. So the, the, you know, the balance was really poorly. So we tried to do some things, I think, that were good government, hopefully. And I think have, have sustained themselves, except maybe recently where we've seen more polarization between the parties. And we'll talk about that. But when you're in that 10-year period before Republicans take over, what can you get done? What can you do for your area in Colonial Heights? It was tough. Uh, I went five years with uh, getting like one bill passed. Uh, but like you, I was sort of tenacious. I had a bill on for tax relief for soldiers serving in Bosnia. Everybody remembers that mm-hmm. war back in the 90s. And I got it passed on my fifth year. So I was very, uh, very determined young man. Uh, but it was very difficult. I mean, uh, you know, most of my bills got killed. Um, and so you just sort of- you know, A lot um, of your bills are getting killed this day and time too. Yeah. And I'm, you I'm say having, it's my fault. Yeah, it, I'm, a, I'm, I'm on a streak a little bit right now. I got a couple past them, but uh, most of them are being referred to finance right now for whatever reason that might be. <laughs> and one um, of the things we tried to do when, hopefully when I was majority leader speaker, and look, it's a, let's face it, I mean, you know, the way politics works, you have a majority party and, you know, obviously you have different philosophies, et cetera, but bills that really weren't philosophical bills, et cetera. I mean, I thought we did a much better job of, man, if it served their constituents and it was the right thing to do, we passed a lot of those things. Right. When I got in, none of that passed. If you were, man, if you were a Republican, you could have the greatest idea in the world that wasn't even a philosophical difference. It was extremely hard to get passed. If you didn't have five Democrat co-patrons on that bill, you could forget it. You know, when I came in and of course the House was Republican, the Senate was twenty-two eighteen. Um, if it was a good bill or you had a good idea, they would co-op your bill. 
So they would basically take it, roll it into one of their bills, which may have come, come later, may have nothing to do, or they would put their name on it and you were out. And that, that was as close to what I think you're talking about in the past. That's kind of gone away. Uh, that only happened a couple of years. But um, it's, you know, it's amazing how back in those days when you started, that just doesn't sound like a democracy to me. That sounds like one party rule. It really was one party rule. And, and basically, Virginia was one party rule. And uh, it's just not the way things were done. But you learn, you learn from every experience. And it made me, you know, you're sports guys. Uh, I was so ultra competitive, you know, being a baseball player, softball player, you know, basketball. And I just, when someone punches you in the mouth like that, your instincts are, you know, and I really felt like the, you know, the conservative philosophy was the, you know, one that we really need to implement. And so I, we worked very hard. I mean, Vance Wilkins, I mean, a lot of Randy Forbes, a lot of people worked very hard to get the majority. I think it really incentivized us more than anything. Well, so. And so let me ask you one question. So you're there, you're learning all about democracy. It's not really going in the way that you probably saw it should go. First, what were you taking back to your students when you're teaching them civics? Ah, great question. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was that part was, you know, sort of difficult because I made them do a scrapbook on uh, it was, and they had to do these really detailed analysis of the House, the Senate, the governor, how everyone had done. And I wasn't doing very well. Uh, <laughs> so that was always interesting to see what they would write. Um, but it was a great teaching tool, I will tell you. I brought my classes all up to the General Assembly. I did a mock General Assembly with them. I never took my classes once to Washington in Smart 30 move. years. Never. So that, that, I, that, then they learned something about be, democracy. Because you know yourself, we're, we're the laboratory for, I mean, the states were designed to be the laboratories for ideas under federalism. And mm -hmm. I really, I think so many people, you know, don't understand that so much happens on the state level and should happen on the state level, whether it be education, et cetera. So I did a mock general assembly. And what was ironic was I tried to be very fair. So if there were 60 Democrats at 60 percent Democrats in my class, 40 uh, percent Republican over the years, my mock general assembly swung from Democrat to Republican. I had a Democrat governor, if it was a Democrat governor, a Republican governor is a Republican governor. They had veto authority. And my kids were ruthless. Uh, <laughs> As a matter of fact, the minority party would wait for two kids to go to the bathroom and then just, you know, use parliamentary procedure, overturn everything the committee had done. Did so they ever lock the door and keep they, a couple uh, cops they, outside? They, they, they tried. They oh, tried. It wow. Was, uh, so this sounds real. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers, we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, 
Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at exit 12, the Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina, that's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers, and Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacemat. I want to remind everybody, we're speaking today with the 55th Speaker of the House, that's Kirk Cox. This show is powered by Pacematic, an entertainment company that develops gaming software. Players love to play and use their skills to win every time. Pacematic partners with small businesses, the economic backbone of Virginia. Now, just picking up where we, we, where we left off, now you come to power, you're not the Speaker yet. But the Republicans really, as you said earlier, just could have done the same things that the Democrats did. They could have locked them out of finance and appropriations committee meetings. They didn't do that. Why was that? Because there is value to the minority. And you know this. I mean, it's a two-party system. And it's, you know, the majority obviously has a philosophy that you want to implement. You feel very strongly about that. But the minority party is crucial. I mean, they really are. They're the loyal opposition. You want that. You want a robust debate on the floor. What I candidly hated when the Democrats were controlled the last two years in the House, debate was cut off. Witnesses were cut off. Things were ramrodded through. You know, bills were not properly heard, parliament procedures not followed. And everybody says, well, that's inside baseball. It's not. It, it, for the system to function effectively, you have to have enough confidence in what you believe in mm-hmm. that you're going to want to debate it on the floor. I know you're that way. Absolutely. You know, and it's a key issue. You want that exchange. You want to be tested. You want those bills to be perfect when they come out because they're law. I mean, you've got to defend them as a lawyer. We had bills the last two years when the Democrats were in control that were horribly written, and we would point that out. Out, and uh, they had the power. You're the majority. So I think we felt like the way we've been treated, that that just couldn't continue because it's just not the way Representative Brock was a citizen legislature. And we are. We're part time. Right. Should work. And I don't care what you think of the other side. They represent, you know, in the House, 85,000 constituents and obviously in the Senate, 160, whatever you all have. And they have their folks. So, you know, I think you have to treat people with respect, with civility and have enough confidence in yourself that your ideas will win out. And I think that's exactly right. But we're not seeing that today. And we're almost seeing what you started at in 1989 coming back in a different way, more vitriolic even, uh, a little more public. As I listen to you guys talk, and I've never talked to you about some of the conversations I had with Kirk, and I never really talked to Kirk a lot about some of the conversations I had with you over the last couple of years. You both have been kind of uh, hearing a lot from me about what ultimately being my litigation against the Commonwealth of Virginia and the really? governor. Really? What's that? We'll get to more in a minute. <laughs> but what I'll say, which was common with both of y'all early on in my conversations, when I would call Kirk and ask his advice on things related to the issues I was having, Kurt always said, just like you, Senator Stanley, because this ultimately is about skill games, Kurt would always say, Hermes, I'm not not for skill games. I'm not, you never really said for or against skill games, never really said for or against, because you never said any of that. But what I got from Kirk is the same thing I always got from you. 
you know, I'm not, it's not my favorite issue, but I, I'm for fair government. And, but I, what triggered something in my mind, you're making a comment about being in the minority and then circling back around the last couple of years, how tough it was. I remember calling you one day when I was trying to, you can call it lobby, advocate, whatever, trying to get something with skill gains put into the budget just so we could have a chance. And I think you were on that committee and I talked to you a day or two after and either you, not everybody, you didn't get a fair opportunity, I guess is the right way to describe it, to uh, debate the budget per se when it came out. And so that kind of made it, it's almost like exactly what you're talking about. Even even had you wanted to advocate on, on my mission, which was small businesses against government overreach, even though you're not necessarily a fan of that in, of the gaming industry, the Democrats just kind of, I don't want to mischaracterize, told y'all what the budget was and that was kind of the deal, huh? Yeah, I think you saw, you've seen that a lot, you know, under their, their control. And once again, that needs to be a robust discussion. And that's such an interesting issue. I'm, I'm probably sort of close to Bill on that issue in that, you know, as far as the skill games went, um, we were going through the pandemic. I thought small businesses sacrificed so much. There were so many onerous regulations already. Mm-hmm. And look, they weren't my favorite, but I supported that for several reasons. Number one, they are skill games. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, the playing field wasn't level at all. I mean, my role opposition, we're probably a little bit, was casino gambling, et cetera, because I thought that was being presented as a panacea to Southwest and Southside. This is going to fix all of your economic problems. And I, I just felt like that was, um, that wasn't accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of good things need to go on as far as economic development and education, adult education, things you've done with new college, things I've tried to do in education. And, uh, but then to think that we're going to disadvantage small business owners with skill games, but we're going to favor casinos. I mean, that's just, you know, the winner or loser thing is just, that's not the way government was supposed to run. And so, um, I really did sort of, you know, feel like, you know, and you did a really good job. I, I give you credit. I wish that's what this process is all about. I mean, you went to see, you knew what you were doing. Um, you provide a lot of jobs for a lot of people. Uh, small businesses were in crisis at that time. And that's the way the system is supposed to work. But to your point, it was very hard sometimes to get those points across. And I think, you know, I, I joined him exactly because they were the ones uh, forcing um, casinos on us. And I remember um, being invited to a meeting where one of the casino interests were there and I opened up the door and, and there's uh, Bill Carrico, a very evangelical Christian uh, gentleman, my seatmate from Grayson County, my, my fellow senator. And I looked at him and I sat down and I said, what's going on? And they're like, well, and they're trying to get casinos through the door. And they say, well, well we want you to carry the casino bill. And I said, Carrico? What, do you know anything about this? He goes, I've agreed to carry it so long as you carry it with me. That's my only condition. I said, Satan has had his way today with you, Bill Carrico. That's, you know, and it, and but that's where they started. They tried, of course, uh, to go to the rural areas, the South Side legislators, to convince them that this was going to be the be all and end all. And quite frankly, we had already been working so hard of repairing our economy in South Side and Southwest Virginia that was taken from us. And I've said this before. And Kirk, you know this as well, Mr. Speaker. You know, we were the robust economy with tobacco, textile, manufacturing, coal. Every government act where the government says, listen, 
this is bad for you. We're going to make it better. So you can't grow uh, tobacco because tobacco is bad. But we're going to give you a subsidy not to grow it. And that collapsed the family farm. Coal's bad, but we're going to do something else for you. Well, that collapsed the economy, a robust economy in southwest Virginia. Textiles, manufacturing, the North American Free Trade Agreement Mm -hmm. under Bill Clinton. You know, we need to make sure that sneakers and furniture is cheaper. It will not sacrifice quality. We'll allow the the NAFTA and CAFTA and our jobs went overseas and our economies collapsed. Every time the government would tell us this would be good for us, it has not been. When they would leave us alone and let us build our economy back, we've done very well. And that's what we've been in the process of doing. And suddenly this General Assembly has gotten bitten by the casino bug and says, oh, a Bally's or a Hard Rock Cafe, it's going to be, as the word you used, your panacea, your white pill that will solve all your ills. And what I see it as is I see it as it stunts the growth that we've been actually accomplishing in bringing industry back. And what industry wants to come to a casino town? And yeah. so that's the threat. Yeah, and, and so I, both of you saw me, and that's kind of ultimately how I got to be close with Bill. Pretty, and I knew for the whole time I was over here, skill games and gambling of any description wasn't wasn't really his thing, wasn't his priority. But ultimately he saw, and I went and knocked on every door. He tried to, you know, I was combating what the storyline was on the, you know, on the Senate floor in, in the House, like, it's killing the lottery. So I took all of my P&Ls from my stores that had games and lottery and put them on Louise Lucas's desk and said, Louise, look, every place that we've added skill games that we've got lottery has improved the sale of lottery. And we had a deposition right here in this beautiful facility <laughs> With Kevin Hall. Are you talking about the Stanley Law Group Studios high atop the Stanley? Oh, the skyscraper. High, skyscraper. High atop the Cox skyscraper. I, I was yeah. about to say, I thought that was uh, <laughs> high atop the, new the Kirk Cox yeah. Speaker Kirk Cox skyscraper. We got it. For today. Checks in the mail. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, lottery is, is, is being hurt by these skill games. We had a deposition with Kevin Hall right here in this room as part of our litigation, and he agreed that while we were being taxed and regulated and raising $130 million lottery sale, the best lottery year ever, and not just the inclusion of online lottery, but in-store lottery sales increased 7%. So we kicked that, you know, to the curb. Mm -hmm. And everything they brought, you know, to the table, um, you know, we we shot it down. It's like we've – so I went to all these offices and all these yeah, you, buildings. You disproved a lot that you know, they alleged that, yeah. that would have gone yes. unchecked had you not been such an advocate. Yeah. And so I went and said, you know, and all we want, and to give you a perfect example. So we've been fighting this issue for three years. We're finally at a point now we've got an injunction. We've got another court hearing coming up. But so now there's a proposed Rosie's coming to Emporia where I live. And uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily for or against casinos, but I'm certainly against any kind of business coming in to anywhere in Virginia and, and especially in Emporia that, in my opinion, is going to get a chance to operate with a gov- government-enabled monopoly. So they're saying uh, if you are visiting Emporia or going to be in Emporia, you decide you want to go spend some of your discretionary income on some entertainment and of that nature, you can no longer go to Saddle Travel Plaza or any of the other 
hundreds and hundreds of small businesses across Virginia that had these games. They say, you have to go here. And so I went to the Emporia City Council about two months ago because every member of Emporia City Council came to me individually on the side and said, are you going to support Rosie's? And I said, I'm not. And uh, they said, why? And I kept trying to explain to them. I said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to city council and tell everybody on the record in an open forum so y'all hear it. So I go to city council, and everybody in our city council was advocating for Rosie's. They thought, or they think, like what y'all are saying, boy, a Rosie's here in Emporia is just going to save the city. It's going to do all this, that, and the other. So I went, got up and started speaking, and I said, I just want y'all to know, I'm, if Rosie's wants to come to Emporia, that's fine. I just believe that they should come. Every business that I know of in this town and in this county, and certainly the business that my dad built, was built on the free market system. Now, I know it's easy for, pe- for people to look around now and say, oh, the Saddlers, they got all the... But when my grandfather got killed and my dad took over at 30 years old, there was one gas station and one one transport truck so i remember the days i mean my dad you borrow money you go invest in a facility you hire the best people you can you train them the best you can you keep your prices competitive and you compete with the man across the street and you try to you try to make it and they were circumventing that so i went to speak to city council and i said i'm not supporting rosie's only because they have lobbied the general assembly to the point where if they come here, they're going to have a, a monopoly on the gaming industry uh, in this area. And I just believe too much in free enterprise and the free market system. That, so it's not because it's Rosie's. It's because of how they're coming into the area. And one of the ladies on uh, city council stood up and said, well, Mr. Sadler, what you've got to understand why we support Rosie's is because their starting pay is $15 an hour. Not bad money for Emporia. And I said... You're correct, Miss So-and-so. I said, but I'll make a deal with you right now, and I'll say it loud and clear on the record. If the members of this city council can get together and go to Richmond and lobby for me, meaning Sadler, give us, give us a monopoly on selling gas in Emporia and Greensville County, I'll pay everybody $30 an hour to start. And she said, well, how are you going to do that? I said, because... Just like Rosie's, if I've got a monopoly on gas, if you have to come to my place to buy gas, I can charge whatever I want for my gas. I can also charge whatever I want for my candy bars and my drinks and my chips and all that because you have to come to me for that service. That's, and that's one portion of it they never grasp. If you tell them they have to go to Rosie's, while they're there, they're going to eat in Rosie's restaurant. They're going to drink, have a cold beer at Rosie's bar. So... You know, we, we lose, 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 lose. and uh, But my conversations with you through that point very much uh, mirrored Bill. Bill said, I don't like gambling, but I don't like unfairness worse. And so that kind of triggered the, and I had to, I, I didn't have to, be, I lobbied a lot with Bill to, would you call it begging, or what would you call it? No, I wouldn't call it begging at all. No, no, no. So I thought you just were just trying to get to, and, and I think you both understood. You know, this is, uh, you know, I mean, Hermie, I, Hermie I, could, I never could get an answer why, you know, why all this was going on, but it was, it was, it, the train was coming. And Hermie, look, you combined in that in that um, issue passion 
and could articulate it in ways that others may not be able to. You had been in front of the public before. So this, a lot of people get intimidated and they don't, you know, when they come before a legislator and they don't really say what they mean or in a way or deliver it in a way that makes a difference. You made a difference and you made a difference in my mind listening to you. But I think you did that for a lot and you did it for a lot of people in the same way that you represented them by taking up the mantle and saying, we're going to sue for our rights. And that ultimately, I think, dovetails into what Speaker Cox is talking about, where robust discussion, robust debate is also dependent on the fuel of constituent citizen advocacy. Because Don't we're say not fuel, because that's kind of a touchy subject, too. Okay. Next podcast, I'm going to get on that. <laughs> but but it's, it's that advocacy that educates us, makes us make decisions, make sure and keeps us honest that we're representing our constituency, not some special interest group. And that's the that's the cog in the wheel that keeps democracy moving. And so you were a part of that and you inspired a lot of people to to come with you and, and also speak their truth and ultimately um, inspired a lot of us to take action in spite of what we believed in in terms of principle. And we never wavered in what our principle was. But our higher principle was for that small business owner and for what was good for the Commonwealth, not good for some out of state big cat corporation. Yeah, that's really well said. And. I've said this before, it's a citizen legislature that's the beauty of it. And we're seeing that in education right now with parental rights. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same oh, yeah. It's the same issue. It is parents have been neglected for so long, have not had a voice. And that's what this representative democracy is all about. But, Herman, where you did such a good job is we knew it just wasn't you. You were representing so many other small business owners. You were sort of the force behind that. And uh, that's the beauty of our system. And I, I told Bill that the most heartwarming part of this whole process, and it's not over. We know that we're st- we still got a bullseye on our back. We understand that. But one of the most heartwarming parts about this whole process, uh, Bill and our team were able to get a temporary injunction ordered in the circuit court of Greensville County. And that's not easy. On December the 6th. On by, and that was on a Monday or Tuesday. By the end of the week, I had, Kirk, over 300 phone calls to my office from small business, convenience store operators, restaurants, bars, people I did not know. And I was trying my best between everything else that was going on to talk to as many as I could. A lot of them just left messages and or some, some emailed, some left messages at, at the front. But I, I talked to this lady from Manassas, Virginia. Just got on the phone for a second. You know, and I just heard the story of my husband was a service man for these games in our area he lost his job on july 1 when they banned these games and because of what y'all are doing he got his job back and because of that my grandkids are gonna have a little christmas this year and i just told bill it's something as simple as that don't know this person didn't have anything to do with our decision necessarily but it's people like that so that's been the most heartwarming thing and i've told bill this before off air the most heartbreaking thing is of all the passion that I've had and all the things that I've tried to do to get us to this point with Bill and our team, it's still heartbreaking to me that there's still legislators that Bill has to work with every day that are still um, of the mindset that the out-of-state interest of these casinos is more important than the health and well-being of a small business operator in Virginia. And I, 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 me as a lifelong resident 
of the Commonwealth of Virginia. I'm now having to defend myself and my business and my family and these other 250-some operators and their families having to kind of defend them from the government. And I've never understood that. And it, it's uh, they're talking to Bill a little bit now because they have to. <laughs> But you know, and I will. I a little want to nicer, go, a little more scared. I, I guess. want to go. I want to go on the record, you know, and then we'll get back into the normal conversation. To to uh, thank Bill a hundred times, but to thank you too, Kurt, for your for seeing past. I'll use Bill's word. What may or may not have been principally a big thing for you, but understanding really the nuts and bolts of what we were fighting for at that time and continue to. I really appreciate your understanding, and you you did a lot. Uh, in that part, in that time, you were there to not only advice to me, but taking me to other people's offices and, and just giving me a chance to to talk to them about really what this was about. And most of them were more receptive once they heard the whole story. Now, see, Bill, I did all that form, and then he took his go kart and crashed me the one time. <laughs> what happened was he's going to make some excuse here. I was well, I was going too slow. I know that. Now, but if you that, if you listen to the other podcast, he wrecks people uh, for his own benefit or for the benefit of Elliot Sadler. There's the the Brotherly Love uh, podcast which we did. There is a hilarious story which I've heard a lot about in the halls of the House of Delegates and the Senate. Uh, where Elliot's running for a championship, he's got the the guy contending for the championship behind him, and Stacy Compton, and suddenly uh, he looks up in his rearview mirror. He was in third, and suddenly he's in second. There's nowhere to be seen. Stacy Compton's car, and and the next thing he saw was the the middle finger, both hands of everybody in the in the uh, audience. Call Elliot number one twice. Yeah, and so uh, so you're not. I mean, this this is not a first time thing. Where okay. I'm hearing it's just that he puts Kurt, you in the what fence. What you have to understand. It has been a long time since I won a race. I saw racing you on a go-kart track as a pretty good opportunity to get back into victory lane. So at that point... You'd already lapped me twice. So at that that point, I thought it was really unnecessary. I was was trying to put the last nail in the coffin. At that point, you You were collateral damage. I mean, you're lapping the Speaker of the House. (laughs) I know. You understand what that means, right? I know. I I mean, that takes a lot of moxie, a lot of B-A-L-L-S. You got it. But, you know, now... Now, when you it's be- all fun and games until the green flag drops. I understand that. I'm learning this from when it comes to him. It's it's very competitive. Um, I, I, he wants to race me to when we're walking to the car to get into the parking lot, and uh, and I think I can take him I just based on him, weight I, and class. But. I actually took him to Dave and Buster's. We went on a little field trip to Dave and Buster's <laughs> to play their skill games, and I let him beat me in just about every type of a racing game they had in Dave and Buster's, <laughs> only for the sake of trying to entertain the judge in court. Well, and not only that, I have videotape of his lying here, so he's not being truthful because I have the videotape. It proves it. He's not laying back. He's he's up on that wheel as as much as he would be on you know in Martinsville in turn three, turn four, heading for the championship. Here we are in the circuit in, in the court of law. Trying to win a lawsuit, and he's asking the people running the computer, "Stop it right there! <laughs> Look at the score." And the judge is up there, like, "What are we? Are we? What are we doing?" Kirk, in, in court, you take your victories where you he can did. get them, and and we and that was a really good victory, and I thought we put on a really good case. Everybody testified real well, but you know, I do want to just get back to one thing because there was a piece of legislation that I pulled up that I was especially proud of to to support that. Uh, Speaker Cox did in 2019, um, and that he was a really big part of this. It was House it Bill be 2577. 2577. You want to talk about that a little bit? What you did there, and that's the the autism, the age cap on autism. Yeah, you know, it was uh, 
I just have a real heart for that. You know, there we do several things in that area. We do ID and DD waivers and those for intellectually disabled and developmentally disabled folks. And so many parents, you know, have such a heart for their for their own kids. And yeah. this allows them to have some support but on the autism piece. You know, we basically cover that through insurance if you're young. Because obviously you can make dramatic differences if you're diagnosed early, but this basically would allow that to be extended to, you know, a deeper age. But as a school teacher, I mean, so many of those kids, and there's so many kids on the autism spectrum disorder now, you know, it's just so important to, uh, you know, I think just have a heart for that. You make such a good point. I mean, this system is built on free enterprise. This system is built on self-reliance. But having said that, there are certain people that as parents, et cetera, as kids who don't have the opportunities that we have, that's exactly what government's there for. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that very, very, very strongly, uh, even as a Republican and a conservative. Well, and, and that's the leadership there, because what, what sometimes we say, that's a mandate. It's a policy writer that is in everybody's policy. So if somebody's going to pay for it, the insurance companies come in and say, don't do this because if you open the door here, so many, other, yeah, some, so many other things are going to happen. And yet here is the leader of the Republican Party. And what might have looked like at that time an anti-conservative stance, the government telling an industry what it must do or not do. And Speaker Cox said these poignant words, and I'm going to quote you if you don't mind. Many of these children are not diagnosed until they're already six or seven years of age and need access to important care for longer than just three or four years. No other prevalent health condition, including asthma, diabetes, cancer, has coverage limits that are imposed based on the patient's age. Coverage for all other health conditions are based on medical necessity, and this is the necessity. That really swung a lot of us around to that position that might have not otherwise been so. And I thought you shown uh, you shined a, a, an incredible light on a very important issue uh, that we're seeing an increase of families, uh, you know, um, having to go through as they raise their children and to make sure that they know that that can be very expensive. And yet that their health care coverage would and would cover even educational opportunities uh, for people. Uh, people with autistic children talk about how things have changed both of you guys know that my middle daughter Haley uh, was diagnosed with autism back in 2001 she's 23 now and when she was diagnosed these stats said one in every 500 kids now it's one in every 50 unbelievable so and you're talking about a a a cold water to the face once we got this diagnosis and we went through, you know, the, the anger and the shock and the all that, we finally, when we finally got around to going to have an IEP meeting with the, the school official in Greensville County, we realized pretty early on that they did not have it. This is, a lot of things are different now, but this was 20 years ago. But at that time, their idea, and probably a lot of it due to funding or lack of funding for these types of programs, they tried to, they were taking all of these kids on different, like in my case, Haley has autism, but, you know, Down syndrome, all these other kids with these other disabilities, and they just put them all in one room with like one person in there. So then we started fighting, and I give my wife credit, Angie, uh, we hired the best lawyer I ever had work for me, Bill's second. The best lawyer I ever had working for me was Pete Wright. He is actually 
uh, has autism on the on the special ed spectrum, but he's a special education uh, attorney in over in Deltaville, hmm. Virginia. And when so we tried to, de- how do we figure out how to make the school system provide what's appropriate, not only for my child, but for all these kids? And we were recommended by a friend of mine, Artie Kempner, who is uh, still works for Fox Sports to this day. He was my director for just about every race I did on TV for Fox. He has a son with autism. He says, you hire Pete Wright. He's on the spectrum, and he's he's nationwide. He's known as the uh, special education attorney guru. So we spent a lot of time and effort and money back in those days, and it's paid off tenfold because, to your point, by the time we, we were very dissatisfied in how we started and never really could get them where we thought they needed to be for us, for Haley, and for all these other kids, we ended up taking her out of the public school system and putting her over here in the facing school for mm-hmm. autism in Richmond. We had the resources to do that, but not everybody does. I mean, that was fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year twenty years ago, eighteen years ago. But now what we did in those days has made a difference now about how our public school system and others at least try to handle these kids because they all learn to Kirk's point. You're responsible for these kids, even as they grow older, 17, 18, in that age range. The more you can do for them in the early years, the better chance they've got to be independent and be off the clock later in life. But but unfortunately, a lot of this stuff always rolls back to, to money and funding. But when it's your kid, you know, it. Uh, but I give, I give Angie credit. She just about single-handedly reformed the public school system in Greensville County as it relates to special education. And to this day, I bet you 75% of the families that have kids with special needs in Greensville County and surrounding areas call and come see my wife before they go to their IEP meetings because my wife can tell them what the school is obligated to provide. And it's really been a big help to uh, help a lot of families over the last 20 years. You've championed this issue, Speaker. I mean, where are we in terms of, I guess, where we've been and where should we be going? Because obviously we're moving in the right direction, but I still think it's not enough. I see where, you know, schools get extra money per how many special needs children they have, but that money doesn't make it into the classroom. It's somehow gobbled up by the administration. I had a bill I wrote uh, that Harmony and I talked about did not drop because I didn't think it was ready for prime time, as we like to say. But how do you make sure more of that money gets in there, more of that special need care is given, more opportunities are given for the parents, more collaboration, more interaction? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, really a difficult issue right now. You have schools of education right now that are having to discontinue their special ed training for teachers. They can't get anyone to go into the field. They can't even make classes anymore. So I think the first thing we're going to have to focus on is we're going to have to address that problem because... I used to work a lot in my school with, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, severely and profoundly disabled teachers, et cetera. And you, the burnout rate is incredible with their caseloads, et cetera. So that's got to be one thing right now, too. We have about 10,000 kids on the waiting list to get services for what we call ID. They've now sort of changed some of the vernacular and DD waivers. And that would give those parents, you know, so much. You have kids with multiple disabilities right now where they're, parents get very, very little services. And remember, they have a right under federal and state law, basically, for the state to you know, take care of that child. 
uh, th- they're doing that. And so I think that's an area we have to be able to bring that waiting list down. And I really want to make this point when you have, and this is what I think is so important how government spends money. If government is wasting money on a lot of things that uh, propping up businesses they shouldn't prop up to your point and doing things where that takes away money to me from the truly uh, folks that need those things. And, you know, I think which is absolutely crucial. But I would say that the biggest crisis we're going to have coming up in the special ed area is a tremendous teacher shortage and teacher burnout where you're just not going to have, you know, even those teachers in that field that can do that. And that's one of the things that people do not, God bless all teachers, including you, Speaker, but special education, you know, I've lived with a daughter with those kind of needs. Now, on the big scheme of things, when, when Elliot and I and my brother, we visit children's hospitals and things, it puts everything into perspective. We really don't have any problems in the big scheme of things, but I can't explain to people how tough it is for a great, I got a great family, a big family. We've got resources, We, but it takes a whole family. Yeah, I mean, it, really, it really does. And I think the other thing we're really going to have to do is a lot of the kids today, at least when they're in the public schools, the services are pretty good. Not certainly have improved dramatically. Yeah, sure they have. And they have, of course, the right to go to their 21. But that gap when they're 20, when they're young adults, it is so difficult for them, Mm -hmm. you know, to get the training, to get any, and in some requirement, if they're, you know, not severely down syndrome and day programs and things where, you know, you know, they can feel, you know, useful and and their parents are lacking severely in Mm -hmm. Virginia. You have a whole group of people also with brain injuries in that sort of that same area. So I think that's along with the public schools, that's the next thing we're going to have to be able to tackle. We've got to let people know too, in, in Emporia and Greensville County, and I should be ashamed of myself for not knowing the exact name of the program, but because of what we've learned in the relationship we formed through our experiences with Haley and our restaurants and convenience stores and things, Angie hires special needs kids through a program in Greensville County and Emporia. And we've got about seven that work for us. I mean, you've met, you've seen David, my buddy David. He's yes. been on some of my Facebook videos, walks to work. 45 minutes one way every day, rain, sleet, snow, hardest worker. We got several dishwashers in there um, that, you know, just love their job. It gives them a sense of they belong. It helps their self-confidence. Yeah, a sense of dignity. Dignity. No question. And I might get put in jail for this and come on, do it, but. You know, we I give them a little bit of cash on the side. I mean, they can only make certain amounts of money uh, because some of these programs, and I give them money out of my pocket and do all these things because I want them to be able to, you know, go to the movie if they can and go do other things and all that. But everything that we learned because of Haley and same thing we're trying to do with her, we're trying to give some of these other kids an opportunity to get up and say, put their clothes on proudly, I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. And it's been a very rewarding process. That's great. I mean, these are, and, and this is just one issue that you championed when you were both uh, majority leader for so many years and then speaker. Uh, what was, other than this one, which I know you're very proud of, what other issues do you do you think when you look back on your career in politics, and I hope it's not over, that we're not, that this is a legacy discussion, what do you? What are you most proud of, along with something like this? What you accomplished? I did about 120 uh, bills, bill that dealt with the military, and that I have such a heart for servicemen and women. Your father was a naval aviator. What they've done for this country 
is amazing. I want Virginia truly to be the number one state for veterans. But as I mentioned, tax relief for E1s through E7s that served in Bosnia going to, we have something called State Veterans Care Centers, which are state-of-the-art. I mean, we only have two, one in Salem and one uh, next to McGuire's in Richmond. So there are two coming online I'm very proud of, one in Virginia Beach and one in Northern Virginia. And these are by 250 beds, and these are for, I mean, just our, you know, our incredible veterans. So probably did a tremendous amount of work in that area with uh, PTSD, et cetera. You know, the Virginia Winter Warrior Program, I put that bill in. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I would say that I love doing. Uh, special needs kids I love doing. I th you know, I thought that was crucial. And also tried, obviously, you know, being a teacher, do a lot in, you know, education. And you've done a lot of this in higher ed, really trying to match get rid of this concept that everyone's going to, you know, basically have a liberal arts degree, really trying right. to match what the region is, where the jobs are, you know, create a, where kids will stay in Virginia, uh, doing a lot with internships and doing a lot with, you know, telemedicine and those types of things, I think are absolutely key, you know, trying to be a bit innovative. So those were probably the three things I spent most of the time. He's like on. my alter ego in the house. I mean, th those are the things that I focus on too with telemedicine. In fact, I have a bill this year, believe it or not, uh, working with Newport New Shipbuilding, that we have to, we're creating an, uh, a program to incentivize high schools to put shop back in, Votech, trades, because they yanked them out under that belief somewhere in the 80s that started uh, that uh, that everybody I needed need to go to college. I need about five HVAC workers in my company right now. I need truck drivers, welders, you name it. I need them, but and you it's know, a lost cause. These but days. you know, we've we've moved away from that, and quite frankly, the advanced technology, advanced manufacturing jobs, and the trades, you can make an enormous amount yeah. of money. That more money that, than you can you with a liberal arts degree. It's not your granddaddy's factory for for anymore. You go to an advanced manufacturing facility; those are great jobs. Mm -hmm. And you know, I love what some of the high schools are doing. They actually have ceremonies for kids that graduate in Votech, et cetera. I mean, those are, to your point. Um, you know, we have got to change the mindset, frankly, of even parents sometimes of the dignity of those jobs are incredible and no debt when you come out, et cetera. And so I love the other thing you did I was reading, maybe and I know we're running out of time. I've always tried to do a lot on reducing regulation. I put a bill in that basically try to reduce regulations by 25 percent because they're so onerous on small business. Did I see that you were doing something that dealt with, which I thought was a really neat experimental concept where businesses basically they would waive certain regulations and yes. they would be the test case then if yes. it worked yes. then and you would take those out of the I love that idea we call that what an innovation sandbox sandbox yeah. innovation sandbox and so we're so what we're uh, what we're able to do there is actually what happens as you know I think the old saying is 17 years from innovation to useful or regulation and usefulness and and in today's society it changes so quickly so when we have that innovation and there may need, you know, government always tries to catch up to that. And, and innovation far exceeds what government can do to catch up. But by the time it gets to regulate it, it may be useless. And so we're, we're, when we see innovation, let's embrace innovation. Let's loosen the regulations in certain areas of business like telemedicine, telehealth, where we can actually it, use innovation on the ground at the time that it is made and, and try to employ that because that's going to invigorate industries, but it's also going to mean that we can use this in real time to make real differences, to create jobs, to help our economy. So that's that's what I'm trying to do with that piece of legislation this year. that was a great concept. i got to do another read here. This is a long one. So, Kurt, you can get ready to get ready to eat some hot dogs here in just a minute. we got to have a contest that if you make the wrong pick, 
me and you might come unbenefited. But I'll tell you more of that in a minute. Right now, I want to remind you that this podcast is powered by Pacematic, who partners with small businesses and prides themselves on conducting business the right way and by following the law. Pacematic believes it's their mission to support the health and welfare of the neighbors in the towns where their games are found. Thank you to Pacematic for helping us leaning right and turning left. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about, protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit GoliathLife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their 40s this past year and a half, and I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it. Protect your family. And I suggest you go to GoliathLife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy. Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. And look, I could talk all day and into the night to one of my great friends, one, one great Virginia statesman, Speaker Kirk Cox, former Speaker of the House of Delegates, an amazing leader, an amazing conservative Republican leader, somebody that we were all very proud of to know and to, to work alongside and to serve with. And um, you ran for governor. They changed your district. We're going to finish up kind of this way. And this is how, how the race with you and Hermie came about, is that when the Democrats sued, they didn't like your lines. They got your lines changed in the 66th. Um, so you decided, you would, and you won then, too, mm-hmm. didn't you? It was 2019. It was a plus five Hillary Clinton district. Mm-hmm. And he still Knocked won. Knocked on 8,636 doors. And so that was a but heck we of lost the majority, unfortunately. I won my right. seat, but we lost seats. Right. So. And so... Uh, Speaker decided that he was going to, and I think rightfully, step forward with the courage that he showed to run for governor. Um, I endorsed him, which I'm starting to think it's the kiss of death if you want me he to endorse you. He told me that at the time. He I was did. so gracious, but it was laughing. <laughs> he goes, he pulled me aside and said, well, you Kirk, you know, I've... <laughs> I never, I never, you may be in the lead. I, I endorse you, and all of a sudden you come in third. I mean, it's... it's uh, yeah, in fact, we have a we have a former senator that's running. He calls me up and he says, uh, "You know, I really need your endorsement." I said, "Let me list off the people I've endorsed <laughs> over the past two years." And he said, uh, "Can you endorse my opponent?" <laughs> so and so, uh, but listen, I was proud to do it. Uh, I really wanted. I thought you know you'd not only earned uh, the right to do it. Uh, we certainly are happy we have a Republican governor. Yeah. But my wife uh, loves Julie. Uh, more a lot more than she loves me. So um, it was something that was uh, pretty natural for me to come to. But, you know, you brought such class and grace Appreciate to the race. And and to think that that some 
former NASCAR driver would put you into the fence in a small go-kart track because his own ego and drive to win. It's been a long time since I won a race. I had to seize that opportunity. But I did want to take a moment. You know, I get to see uh, Mr. Speaker once a month. We serve together on the board of directors at the Bank of Southside, Virginia. Oh, wow. So a great community, great community bank and Peter Clements and Will Clements Clements and that whole, we got a, just a great group. My father was also on the board of that bank, was great friends with Peter's dad, John Clements, located right there in Carson, Virginia. And I'm proud to serve uh, on the bank of Southside Virginia board. I know. So my point is if we hadn't had a personal relationship, I wouldn't have crashed people (laughs) like that. That's your excuse. That's my excuse. That's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to in it. In the middle of a vigorously contested campaign, you know, Herbie probably didn't know I I'd had back surgery about ten years ago. That could have been oh Bill. Could I hire you? Yeah, ten years. Too late. Is this the no, it's statu- a two years two year statute statu- limitations? <laughs> and and let me tell you, we'll take it all. It'll be it will be a Speaker Kirk Cox Travel Plaza by the time we're finished with you, buddy. <laughs> please, please, we need a third shift. <laughs> Can you Real work third We'll name it after you. Yeah. So, so you take it from here. Senator. So so uh, here on leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the senator, we always like to to really get down into the great issues, get people to know who we're talking with, and and really entertain them at the same time. But there's something that on social media that I saw during his campaign, but then realized that this has been kind of a thing for you. Mm-hmm. That the speaker would go as he traveled through the Commonwealth of Virginia. And he would go and find a hot dog stand or a hot dog place or a good place that served hot dogs. And he would then test the hot dog, taste the hot dog, and tell you exactly what he thought, recommend the hot dog or even not recommend the hot dog. He's kind of a connoisseur of hot dogs. And he's also an expert. If I ever have a civil lawsuit where I have to hire a hot dog expert, I'm going to retain you, Speaker. So um, this is a guy, if you're going to trust on what is a good hot dog and what is not a good hot dog or what's a better hot dog, Yep. Or maybe not as good hot dog. That we're going to find out right here. We, we've put in front of let me let me, speaker, set, let me, Kirk let me Cox. set the stage one second. One <laughs> of these hot dogs came from Elliot Sadler Racing on Crater Road in Petersburg. Now, the fact that I bought it and put it in the box uh, at nine o'clock this morning, it should still be good. Now, now the other here's one the thing we have switched this all around. So it, so when he, yeah, see, he, he tried him, to he, feed you right there, he made him take all the box. wrappers apart and do all that and change. We it switched all around. everything up. Now the other hot dog, we can't say their name, but it's a it's a well known convenience store. It's two numbers in it. Um, <laughs> so you the have to fix. decide, Mr. Speaker. I'm a little bit of a lobbying session right now. You the have to fix. decide, you know, where, where your where your loyalty might be. I don't know. My so. goodness, that, that wasn't a giveaway at all whatsoever. <laughs> you, you have taken what would have been a fair and just contest, and you've put the bias all over it. He, he, he's he got to make a decision. All right, now he's got to close his eyes. That's right. Order, so we're going to have yeah. to blindfold you. Okay. Well, theoretically, well, there are two blindfold. things I'm missing here. I'm missing my famous 1984 state championship softball jacket that I always have to wear when I'm doing hot dogs. Mm, true. I have hot you, dog you, socks. So, that so I always, this could be a. So I, this could be I, one that's not official. This could be not official. I've lost my power a little bit, but I'll I'll do it. So. Okay. So, so how am I doing this? So so now that that he's. But see, now he knows the switches intermittent. Do we switch? I mean, what are we going to do? Because he said box. So what we're going to do is, uh, Speaker Cox, if you'll trust us, our executive producer, Brad Tuesday, otherwise known as Chad Monday, who runs the board for us here, you're going to administer, but don't put your fingers on it, okay? Just um, Are we going to need the Speaker to look outside the majestic 
windows. Yes, uh, high atop the, the half, Speaker okay. Kirk Cox building. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna have. And look, do you, what do you like on your hot dog, sir? Does it matter? It has mustard, onions, and chili, but must, no ketchup. Just no, that, just that, mustard. That mustard only. All we got is mustard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mustard's great. Okay. So. No fingers. I <laughs> see. This is a bigger challenge than we thought. <laughs> the challenge is getting the hot dog out. There you go. Hey, we, we need some music, like some Jeopardy music oh, or something. Hey, hit the music right here. We have on the new board. We can do this. Watch. You put him. <laughs> Welcome to the leaning right and turning left with Sadler in the center hot dog eating contest with our contestant, former Speaker of the House of Delegates of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Kirk Cox. Kirk, uh, I'll do the play-by-play for you, and he can do the color commentary. Right now, Brad Tuesday is right trying now, to apply uh, The show was going mustard. so well. Uh, the, yeah, the, the show has come to a dead halt. <laughs> Clearly, Brad cannot open a mustard packet. He's going to the back of the room. This might have to be cut a little bit in production. Brad, do you want to explain yourself? <laughs> Here, just have the guy that owns the convenience stores. He can open a stand mustard pack. Stand by. I think. I think, Speaker. He's he's there's nervous. Some, he doesn't want to poison. Right yeah, here. you can use that. Yeah, just you can dump it on there. Right. All right. Just go like Hermie, this. you can prep up these dogs, but if you write, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, do a little switcheroo <laughs> here and make sure he doesn't know which one. Is but if you one. write Hermie in in mustard on top of one of the hot dogs, then I know the fix is in. There you go. There you go. See, now we're working. Now, apply some. You like a, a lot of mustard, speaker, or, or just a little mustard, or you want to apply your own here? I'm going to let the speaker apply his own condiments. Okay. But now, let's see. Look right. at this. You ready? Speaker, uh, this is our first bit, by the way. We're going to see how this works. Speaker is applying the mustard, doing so very liberally, uh, doing without hesitation. All right. Not what one bite to know, speaker. You don't have to... Or follow them down. All right. Speaker's taking a bite of hot dog number one. Hot dog number one. Uh, Chad, you got anything for the speaker to drink to wash? He was about to hand him his own water. <laughs> <laughs> Brad lives in a contaminant-free environment in his own life, I guess. <laughs> you know, this is, All this right. is you know, they say live TV. This is live radio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. as live as it gets. Yeah. Okay, we have we have there's, uh, there's tremendous for, pressure here. You know, I, tremendous I pressure. I understand. This is this was unexpected. You this will admit I, we did not tell is, you this was going to happen. Okay, he's cleaning his palate. Cleansing the palate. Yes. Cleansing the palate. Yes, Excuse yes, me. Yes. This is the part we really need a TV camera for. <laughs> there is a little look of consternation on his face as he's working through that bite. Same look of consternation as he takes the second bite of hot dog number two. Nothing is, uh, no signs have been given. He has not fallen over or given he's the sign for uh, over. the Heimlich maneuver. So he I think we're okay. He did not do the thing I saw the guy on TV do when he's trying to win the contest, dip it in water and then. Joey Chestnut. Joey Chestnut. Yeah, yeah, Joey Chestnut. Yeah. Come and go with this one. Which one? This one. Ladies and gentlemen, he has gone with hot dog number one. That is a hot dog from Elliot Sadler. Racing on Crater Road in Petersburg, Virginia. Wasn't even close. close. That was easy. That was too easy. Was it easy, really? I I almost did this. I should have. When I took the bite up, I go, it's this one. Now, now describe the difference, though, for us. I mean, it's one thing because people cannot visualize what you've just done. Much better bun. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
just a much better quality hot dog, uh, much better flavor, good color. Uh, that's why I thought this one. Even this though one, even though it's been sitting for five hours? <laughs> which is hard. It's yeah. much harder to judge because yeah. they're not hot. Yeah. This one, the, the bun was falling apart. It mm-hmm. was uh, not nearly as good. The hot dog didn't have nearly as much flavor. So this is clearly the best hot dog. And for you, this what, one even looks what is the benchmark for flavor in a hot dog? Oh, man. It's... Uh, well, I always, Can I we do, talk more about who won? Are you, why do you? No, this might help you. Oh, just, okay. just hold on. So I always, <laughs> I have two. I have one with mustard, onions, and chili, mm-hmm. and then I have their specialty. So that's how I always generally judge my hot dogs. But uh, this, this is just really well done. This is, uh, like I said, it's just a nice bun. This would really have been good five hours ago. <laughs> so uh, good point. If a hot dog can taste decent, this for might five be hours, this might be a good time to say you can get. Like two hot dogs and a bag of chips and a drink for four ninety nine. Man, I'll be there. Of the racing and, and create a road you know, one day I want to tell you, I ate six hot dogs in one day, which is really wow. brutal. After as much as I love hot dogs, one at twelve, one at two, one at four. Governor's campaigns are tough things. Oh, so that wasn't yeah. on a bet or anything? You weren't in no. It's just we had we we would do a bunch of them and then rec- like record them and then put them up. But okay. uh, so final question: what, Where and what is the bet, best hot dog you've ever had? Best hot dog I've ever had. In the Commonwealth of Virginia. You've probably been there. Dixie and Petersburg. I have been to Dixie and Petersburg. Ladies and gentlemen, straight from the mouth of the former speaker, with a, with a who small, is an authority on hot dogs. With a small caveat is you need to one day go to Martinsville Speedway and have a Martinsville Speedway hot dog. And they're very pink. Yeah. The Jesse James. Jesse, right? Jones. Yeah, Jesse Jones. I yeah. was at Martinsville in the Wyatt Direct campaign. Uh in Pit Row with Richard Petty. That was a cool thing. Yeah. So it's I not for the taste, it's for the experience, yeah. as they say. <laughs> Speaker, thank you so much. Thank y'all. Uh, y'all are so nice. This has been fun. And, and I really, y'all are great. really appreciate who you are and what you do and honored to to be your friend and honored to still serve with you on the on the bank and look forward to seeing uh, I know you're not gonna sit back and do nothing. Yeah. What's the next plan for for you? You gotta tell me. You coming my back? Friend. You I don't gotta know come what back. I'm gonna do. Nah, I'm done with that. I've loved it. So you've been such a great asset to the company. Let me say. Let me say two quick things. First of all, Hermes Aller is the best. Uh, not only I begrudgingly agree. Beloved in the community and his family, his dad and Elliot, they just do so much. Uh, great to have a friend like that. And I'm gonna miss you, my friend, Senator. I'll Stay be around. You're, you're what we need. You're very uh, kind. I think you just have that servant's heart that I love. And uh, your people love you, so uh, this is uh, quite a special thing for me. Well, you, so, and you're you're a role model y'all. to look up to, and I think every single person, man or woman, who serves in the General Assembly should use you as the example because you truly have demonstrated that you are the Virginia statesman that we all aspire to be. So thank you. Now, this has been fun. It has been fun. We another want to appreciate again the speaker for being with us. This is another edition wrapped up of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. Powered by Pacematic. We appreciate everybody downloading, tuning in. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Check us out wherever you download your podcast. Fun time this week, and we'll see you back again for another episode of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator next week. I'm Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. We'll see you next time.